There's an old saying that says, what you don't know can't hurt you. Or as we said where I grew up in the South, the Southern version is, what you don't know won't hurt you. But let me tell you, I learned the hard way. That saying is false, okay? It is not true. And I found that at that out one day at the bottom of Hilltop Drive. See, I lived at the top of Hilltop Drive, and, and my friends and I had the goal of conquering that hill with anything that had wheels on it. Skates, skateboard, scooter, bike, sled, you name it, we did it. But one day, my best friend Jacob, he said to me in my garage, I'll never forget, he said, hey, Micah, let's go down the hill in a wagon. Huh. Thought a moment, I looked at him. And what I wish I would have said in that moment was, Jacob, that is a terrible idea. That wagon is not made to be ridden down this hill. But what I actually said was, Jacob, that is a genius idea. That wagon is made to be ridden down this hill. And so we both climbed into the wagon. It was a cheap, plastic, Fisher-Price wagon. Anybody have that same wagon? And we got at the top of the hill. We sat down on the count of three. My other friends gave us a big shove. It was like, it reminds me of that movie, Cool Runnings. Um, and things were going great until we got about halfway down the hill. And that's when we realized you can't rightly steer a wagon while you're sitting in it going full speed downhill. And I was in front. I was holding the handle. And every time I turned, it would jerk left and right. And we were swerving. And eventually, we went off-road. We were going through people's yards, dodging mailboxes until we came to a sudden crashing stop into a for-sale sign. We learned that day what you don't know can, in fact, hurt you. That saying is also true in parenting. Man, there's so much I didn't know, I still don't know about being a dad. It's led to many mistakes. I remember bringing our first child home, Charlotte, from the hospital, looking in the rearview mirror at her in the car seat and thinking, it's on me now. <laughs> I got to take care of this tiny little human. What, what am I supposed to do? So I just started Googling everything. I figured it out. I remember bringing our second child home this past February thinking pretty much the same thing. Like, I really haven't learned a whole lot more. And what I didn't know hurt me because I was scared. And then here we are today, 2020. Man, what, what a year this has been. There's so much we don't know. I mean, I think back to early March when COVID first became a reality and uh, when, when the word Zoom became an essential language, vocabulary word. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really tired of Zooming. We didn't know what was going to happen. And here we are almost five months later, and there's a lot we still don't know. And our lack of knowing causes us distress. It causes us fear. Add to that the unrest and division in our nation and the feeling that as followers of Jesus, our values and beliefs are becoming more and more ridiculed by the world. See, the reason we're hurt, the reason we're afraid, the reason we struggle, it's because of what we don't know. Or for many of us, what we just forget that we know. So this morning, I want to share with you some things that we can know, some solid life-staking truths. Because when we know these things, when we really know them in our hearts, we're going to be transformed. That's what I want to show you at the end of 1 John this morning. Today, we are closing out our series uh, going through the letter of 1 John. We still have 2 John and 3 John. Those are really short. We started this book back in January, it feels like a long time ago, and we didn't know we were going to face a global pandemic and be shut down. We didn't know some of us would lose our jobs, our loved ones, our health, but it's amazing. John wrote this letter to believers who were facing unknowns in life, and he wrote to them to give them confidence in Jesus, and that is exactly what we need 
today. So I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Here's how John closes out his letter. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. You can be seated. You don't need seminary training this morning to see that there are three points in this passage. And all the Baptists like me said, amen. We love three points. Make them start with the same letter. Okay, I got it. We'll do it. Um, there are three we knows in this passage, followed by statements of how this knowledge helps us. So in other words, what John is saying to us is that what we don't know can hurt us. So let's figure out what we know and what we need to know. First thing we need to know, God is our strength. Look with me again at verse 18. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. John is reiterating this point he's made throughout the book. True followers of Jesus don't live lives characterized by sin. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. John is not saying that Jesus' followers don't sin. If that were the case, I would be in trouble. I am a sinner. I've sinned in more ways than I can count. John himself said in 1 John 1.8, he said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus' followers still struggle with sin, but the key word there is that word struggle. We don't live a life dominated and resigned to sin. We don't make sin a comfortable habit. We don't make friends with our sin. That's why John says these words don't keep on sinning. The idea is persistent, repetitive sin that we give up on fighting. See, followers, followers of Jesus struggle with their sin. They hate it. They fight against it. They, they seek to become more like Christ. So we don't keep on sinning, but it's not because of our own strength. Here's why we don't keep on sinning. Look at the rest of verse 18. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Here's why we don't have to keep on sinning. Because we've got someone protecting us. But who, who is it? I mean, who is this he who was born of God that John's speaking of? Is this another believer that's going to protect us? Is this ourselves? Well, we know Paul said even he couldn't keep himself from sin, so it can't be us. It's got to be someone way more powerful than me, even more powerful than Jeremy, right? To understand who our protector is, we simply need to capitalize that word, he. Our protector is Jesus. And because of him, the evil one cannot touch us. I think uh, one of the most fascinating jobs in the world is the job of secret service. Have you seen those guys on TV? Man, it's, they're intense. And, and they are the best of the best at protecting. They protect the president, the vice president, some of the presidential candidates. And they're going to go to any length to do their job. Like, you just know they mean business. Listen to this. I, I read this recently. When the secret service travels with the president, they actually carry... Uh, bags of his blood with them in case they have to give him medical, like, life-saving uh, technique in that moment. They have it with them at all times. Every single bite of food, every single bite of food the president puts in his mouth is under the careful inspection of the Secret Service. I mean, these guys are incredibly meticulous and focused. You see them with the sunglasses, all serious. Imagine how you would feel having the Secret Service protecting you and your family 24 hours a day. Be pretty cool. 
to know we have someone who is protecting us is even better than the Secret Service. Someone who's protecting us not just physically, but spiritually. We have Jesus, the King of the universe, with infinite power. The one who defeated sin and death and hell and Satan and who will give us all we need because he's our protector. And man, I forget this truth so often. I have to remind myself, like, Micah, what are you afraid of? What are you worried about? Jesus is protecting you and the evil one cannot touch you. Now, how does not knowing this truth hurt us? Well, if we forget Jesus is our protector, it hurts us. Because then we try to fight sin in our own strength. We try to be our own protector. Maybe we have a particular sin that we struggle with and we tried this and we tried that and we've labored over all this and we've tried so hard to stop but nothing seems to work. So we end up giving up and giving in. We're exhausted, we're weary, we're defeated, we're hopeless. Listen to me this morning. You cannot defeat your sin. You are not strong enough. But Jesus Christ is. And the good news is he has already defeated your sin on the cross. He has given you everything you need to walk in holiness and honor him. He's given you his word. He's given you the Holy Spirit who is God in you. And he's given you the people of this church. And he's personally protecting you now. Romans 8.34 says he's at the right hand of God interceding for you. Don't forget, it's not about you. It's not about your ability. It's not about your knowledge, what family you came from, what your past says. It's not about your strength. It's about Christ's strength in you. That is the key to defeating sin and growing in your faith. So not knowing that can hurt you. So first, we know God is our strength. Second, we need to know God is our source. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John does something here that he does all throughout his writings. He makes a stark contrast between God and the world. When Jesus uses, and John used that word world, they're speaking about these systems, people, and powers that are opposed to God. And John says the world is under the power of Satan. As followers of Jesus, we need to know who we belong to. We belong to God. That's our identity. That's our source. I uh, grew up in a town of about 18,000 people in Middle Tennessee. And for the first 13 years of my life, my dad was the pastor of First Baptist Church, right off the square, like you imagine, and biggest church in town at the time. So everywhere I went, people knew who I belonged to. They'd ask me. They said, oh, you must be Drew Hayes' son. And when I knew when someone said that, it could either be good or it could be bad. (laughs) But I I was a marked man. I was identified by who I belonged to, and the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. We are marked as sons and daughters of God. The Bible says we were chosen and called by God's sovereignty. We were saved and forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross. We were justified and adopted by his resurrection. And now we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. That is our identity. That is who you are. And that will never, ever change. It is so important that you know who you are and whose you are. Because not knowing this can hurt you. Not knowing this can cause you to lose your joy. When we forget our identity, often the first thing to go is our joy. I don't know about you, but I've experienced some uh, pretty dark days during the season. I've had some low points where I've struggled to understand, where I've felt hopeless. But here's what I had to remind myself. 
I want to show you this. Flip back with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter is writing to a group of believers who are under the threat of persecution. They are suffering. And look at what he says to them. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when life is difficult, when terrible things are happening. Why? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We live in a world that is fundamentally opposed to God. It's been this way for a long time. So what do we do? Do we complain on social media and throw a big pity party? A lot of people do it. I've thrown a few of my own pity parties here lately. 2020, it's the worst year ever. Like, why is this happening this and we can't do this and this got canceled and this and what about football? This is so terrible. Man, that's not how a follower of Jesus responds to trial and suffering. Look at what Peter says in this next verse, verse 13. He says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Wait, hang on. What did you say, Peter? Did y'all see that? I think he said rejoice. I don't know. That's, that's, that's pretty crazy. I mean, that, that can't be right. Let's, let's flip to James. I mean, James, James was a smart guy. Uh, I think he, he probably is going to correct him here. James 1, 2 through 3. James, James was the brother of Jesus. He said this, James 1, 2 through 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, that, that's got to be a typo, right? I mean, Joy in trials, that just can't, that's no way. I mean, that's, Jesus is going to correct these guys. Flip to John 16. Jesus, it's, it's Jesus, right? I mean, it's red letters, so we know he's, he's going to fix this, right? John 16, verse 33. Here's what Jesus says. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And sometimes Christians get this faulty idea that real Christians don't suffer. That God just wants us to be happy and healthy. And if we follow him, everything's going to be peachy. But that is nonsense. We can't deny it. The Bible makes clear suffering is going to come. And when it does, followers of Jesus are to rejoice. To have peace and joy and take heart. Why? Because we know we are from God. We belong to him. And no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how scary things seem, we are safe and secure in him. Suffering only prepares us for the glory that's coming when we see him face to face. In fact, God uses trials and suffering. God uses the evil in the world to shape us into the image of his son. It's like the story of Joseph where Joseph says, What you intended for evil, God intended for good. It's like Romans 8.28 where it says he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.18, where it says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Man, don't forget, you are from God. You belong to him. That is your identity and that is your source. And here's the third and final thing we need to know. You need to know God is your salvation. Look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. And Jesus came to give us understanding so we could know God. Do you remember one of my favorite details about 
the gospel stories. When, when Jesus died, do you remember the veil in the temple? That, that thick piece of fabric that separated God from people, that, that curtain that hung there that only a select person, priest, could go in on a select day of the year. That veil that was a constant reminder of God's holiness and man's unworthiness. Do you remember what happened to it? It was ripped in two. And that moment symbolized that Jesus accomplished what he came to do. To bridge the divide between man and God that sin had caused to make a way so that we can know God. You see, that's what salvation is. It's knowing God. God didn't just bring us salvation. God is salvation. And once we know him, John says we are in him. We are in Christ. Boy, that is a huge concept that we could spend a lot of time unpacking. But it simply means that we have such a deep abiding relationship with God that we are in him. We're joined together in a life-altering, never-changing way. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hand. We're joined to Jesus who, John says, is the true God and eternal life. And that is a powerful, triumphant way to end this book. But that's not how John ends it. He drops in one more sentence. And at first blush, let me tell you, it seems a little random, a little anticlimactic. Look at this. Look at verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. It's the end of the book. And that ending is so abrupt that a lot of people have speculated that maybe there's a part of the book missing. Maybe John just didn't finish it. He, he fell asleep or ran out of ink or got a hand cramp. I mean, what, what happened? But in context, this makes perfect sense. This is the summary command of the whole book. Keep yourselves from idols. What is an idol? When we hear the word idol today, we think about the idols in the Old Testament, the golden calf. I, uh, it hit me when I was working on this, uh, an old Brady Bunch episode. You remember that when they go to Hawaii and they get the little tiki idol? Nobody in first service knew what I was talking about. Have you seen that? YouTube. Okay, thank you. YouTube it. Um, but that's what we think about with idols. But John is speaking here not about little statues in your closet. He's speaking here about idols in our hearts. Brad Bigney, he's a pastor and author, he defines an idol like this. I thought this was helpful. He says, an idol is anything or anyone that captures our hearts, minds, and affections more than God. An idol can be anything that we put in the place of God. So John is saying, hey, we got to reject anything that stands in the place of Christ. He must be the center of our lives. I mean, that's it. We exist for Jesus. If you're wondering today what your purpose in this life is, your purpose is to glorify Jesus and make much of him. Our call is to focus on Jesus, so to live a life focused on anything else, even a good thing, is idolatry. And the scary thing is that all of us struggle with idols, yet we're often blind to them. We're, we're tempted to worship things other than God. And, and I believe one of the things that God has done in this season with COVID-19 is expose some of the idols we have worshipped. God has stripped some things away from us that have become far too important and reminded us that he is God alone. Let me give you a few of the idols that God has smashed in my life. First one's comfort. We live very comfortable lives here in America, here in Johnson County. You know, some days my biggest struggle is choosing which restaurant to eat at. Yeah, I get so comfortable in my routine and my home and my possessions and my own little bubble. Well, COVID destroyed that bubble. 
that illusion of comfort by reminding us we live in a fallen and frail world, racked by sin, and ultimately, this is not our home. We're not called to comfort. We're called to commitment to Jesus at all costs, even in the difficult. Second idol God smashed for me was busyness. I like to fill up my schedule, jump from one thing to another. I wear busyness like a badge of honor because I'm, I'm working so hard. I'm doing all these good things. And then the lockdowns hit. Close down the church building. You spend a month plus at home. And God revealed to me how the goal of my life is not to be busy. I'm also called to rest and to slow down and to spend time with family and to spend time with God and to think about other people rather than just always living by my schedule. A third idol that was smashed is control. And I am really stepping on my toes with this one because I'm a planner. Anybody else like that? Type A. I like to be in control and I like to think I'm in control until an invisible microscopic virus totally shuts down the world. I mean, industries, governments, gatherings, economies, entire nations crippled. As things were canceled and plans were changed, I was reminded that God is perfect in all of his ways. And his ways are higher than my ways, even when I don't understand. So even when my plans are ruined, God's plans are unshakable. And this is just the beginning of the list of things that we worship and prioritize over God. I don't have time to get into all these other idols. I want you to let me come back sometime. So I won't get into all the idols like politics and entertainment and money and possession and family and personal. I won't get into all that. But even good things, when put in the place of God, become sin. And this is why John says, he said, hey, keep yourselves from idols. The key to focusing on Jesus and living a life that honors him is not letting anyone sit on the throne of your heart but God. God alone is our salvation. We need to know that. We need to remind ourselves of it because what we don't know can hurt us. So this morning we've seen three things that John wants us to know in this text. But it begs the question, how can we make sure we know? And what does it even mean to know? Growing up in school and the teacher said, hey, you need to know this. This is going to be on the test. I was the kind of kid that freaked out and went home and memorized it and studied it and went in the next day and put it down on paper on the test. And as soon as I walked out the door, it's gone. And for a lot of my life, <clears throat> I viewed God in a similar way. God was a set of facts to learn <clears throat> and rules to keep. I brought my Bible to church and I got the little star stickers on the wall. And I said my verses and I got my badge. Is that it? We know John is talking about something here more than mental knowledge. It's more than just memorizing and regurgitating facts about God. It's more than just saying, yes, God exists. And yes, Jesus lived and did these things. I mean, there's something more going on here. There's a different level of knowing. Think back with me to how John began his letter. 1 John 1.1, this is how he started the whole book. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, who is Jesus. All along, John has been pointing us to a deeper kind of knowing than just a series of facts. This is relational knowledge. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing God. My wife and I grew up in the same neighborhood. Uh, she was two grades younger than me. 
And so we, we knew of one another, but we didn't really know each other. I, I knew some things about her. I knew she was a cheerleader at our school. I knew who her best friend was, and I knew that she was way out of my league. She still is. But I didn't know her personally. And over time, we dated, we got engaged, we got married. And after being married now for six years, even though I am still learning things about her and how to be a husband, I feel like I know her mostly. I know her heart. I know what she loves. I know the things I do that frustrate her. And I know that her love language is coffee. All right, that's the key. See, we understand that. There's a difference between knowing about a person and knowing someone personally. So let me close by asking you this morning. Do you know God? I'm not asking if you could pass a test or win a Bible drill. I'm not asking how long you've been in church or how many verses you've read or how much you've done serving the church. I'm not even asking if you believe in God. James 2.19 says even demons believe in God. I'm asking you this morning, do you know God? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? Well, here's the good news. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, you can come to know God today through his son, Jesus Christ. Whether today is your first day in church or maybe you've been here all your life but you just never really believed it's just something you did, you can come to know God by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus and what he's done by taking your place on the cross and rising from the dead to secure your justification. I mean, if you have not figured this out now, I don't know if you ever will. I don't know what more has got to happen in 2020 for us to realize that Jesus is our only hope. <laughs> like He is it. Everything else crumbles. Everything else is temporary. Jesus is our only hope. So if you're already a committed follower of him, then let me challenge you. Don't forget, we tend to get spiritual amnesia. And we get so used to hearing these things, they become normal and mundane. I heard a pastor say one time, if you're bored with the gospel, the problem isn't with the gospel. Guys, we have to remember. We have to learn to daily stir our hearts to what Christ has done. You don't get saved and get on. You get saved and you keep going. You keep following and pursuing Jesus so we can more deeply know God as our strength, our source, our salvation, our everything. Do you know him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer now.